Hello, and welcome to the Embrace Your Destiny podcast. My name is Sandra Dawes, and I'm your host. And if you're new to the podcast, the Embrace Your Destiny podcast is all about sharing the stories of women who have been through a challenging time in their life, and they're sharing with you the lessons they've learned, the experience that they actually had, and provide advice for anyone who might be going through something similar in their own life. And today, my guest is Yasmin Kater, and she is the sales strategist and serial entrepreneur that helps tiny business owners master sales psychology in order to sell out their service and create more impact. She has grown her award-winning storytelling agency, VS Story, to seven figures within 24 months. And she now runs Sales Story Method, where she has consulted and trained hundreds of small business owners to close their first sale, repackage their services, and scale to six and seven figures. As well as Yasmin's businesses, she has also prepared an expedition to the Arctic to produce her first documentary and raise awareness on climate change issues. And um, when you come back and check out the show notes at the end, you'll find more about where to find Yasmin as well as take advantage of um, a toolkit that she's offering as well. So welcome, Yasmin. Hey, thank you very much for having me here. So Yasmin, why don't we just dive right in and start with sharing the part of your journey that you want to share with the rest of the audience today? Sure thing. So um, actually, the, the part of the journey was super hard to kind of pick one because I think many of people in your audience as well has many different kind of points and inflection points that kind of shifts them. Um, but the biggest one for me, when I was thinking about this question, was uh, when I was about 13 or 14 years old, um, my father lost his job. And as being someone who is ethnically half Arab, um, as my father, like it's, it was a very big thing for him to be able to not be able to provide for the family. Um, and I remember like looking at like how he struggled and it took him about three years to get a job. And it was just really a strange kind of environment for the family and the pressure and everything like that. And it made me realize that working for someone is possibly not the safest thing to have to do, um, especially if you want to make sure that you are secure for yourself as well as your family. And it was a massive trigger point because I didn't realize it then, but you know, like 10 years later, when it came to entering my career and I realized that I was really unhappy and I was really and I was unhappy because eventually my father passed away and he had cancer. Um, I realized that the only option that I saw possible was to be an entrepreneur. Um, hmm. And it just really became about like, if I want to be able to embrace my destiny, like that was it. Like in the end of the day, we have the power to control a lot of different things. There's some things that obviously we cannot control, but if it's anything, we can control our career as well as our future. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because I was just having that conversation with a client a couple days ago where I was sharing a piece of my journey and I remember saying back in 2000 and let's say 2012 I think it was I did probably one of my first internet radio interviews and I remember being asked why people don't really pursue their passion do the things that they really want to do in their careers and my answer was that I think that we hold on to this idea of financial security and so we think that having a nine-to-five job will give us that security but I feel like in these times or maybe always that financial security has been a bit of an illusion especially when you're doing when you're framing it in being an employee terms yeah completely and like what's incredible is that um I think a big part of my dad's 
like sickness, and this is obviously not medically proven, but something that I feel intuitively um, was because of the pressure and the stress that he had. And then when he lost his life, I was about 21 years old. Um, what was also amazing about my father is that in his last year, I asked him, you know, the bucket list. Have you ever watched that movie? Yes. Okay. So he, the movie came out during that time. And I thought like, you know, I was 20, 21. I was like, puppy, what, what do you want to do in your life? What's on your bucket list? And he looks at me and he looks things like, and he basically answers four words. And he said, I've done it all. And I remember looking at him thinking that he was a bit quirky, quirky or, or weird or like, making my life complicated because if you just wanted to tell me the answer, then I can know like how I could be a good daughter and, you know, kind of be there for him. Um, but it took me a couple of years to process that and to realize that if I was going to wake up and realize that I only have, you know, one day, one month, one year left to live, I want to be able to comfortably say I've done it all. Right. And yeah. And I, I know the similar story for you as well, when it comes to when it happened to your dad. Um, but it's just that like, how do I say it? I'm not even sure the right word to say it. It's just that I get it though. It? I, cause I would, I would say that I remember having a conversation with my father after, cause he had cancer as well and he had had prostate cancer and he was in remission for a while. And then the year that he died, it had come back with a vengeance. And, um, so when he was told that, you know, he needed to get his affairs in order because his time was now limited his, when he was telling me this, he said, you know, and I'm, I'm okay with it though, because I don't have any regrets and I've lived a full life. And I know that there are friends and family members who haven't had as much time as I've had. So I'm grateful for that. And I feel like when he said it, it sort of broke my heart because I was like, oh, I'm not done with you yet though. But I think that having that peace of mind, you know, getting to that end time and having that comfort that you you have done it all and that you have done your best is, is a blessing. Yeah, for sure. Beautifully said, actually. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, it's nice again, in hindsight to think about that. But when you're, when you're hearing that, you know, when you hear that from your father at that time, it's, it's not what you want to hear because you want to try and, and fix it or make it better. Yeah. But also at the same time, I was much younger. So yeah. I didn't really understand even what I've done it all as a statement actually meant. Right. Because you know, like I just, I didn't couldn't process that somebody could just be comfortable with who they are. And he's like, yeah, I've done everything I wanted to do. And I was looking at him, it's like, hmm. And then it, what was beautiful about that, and, and always in retrospect, it never makes sense at the time, is it forced me to go and it forced me to question, actually, what does that mean for me? Because the definition of I've done it all is very different for me, for you, for, for everyone who's even listening, you know, like, and there's no right or wrong way. And I think the most problem that people have is trying to follow somebody else's formula and then wondering why they're so unhappy and unfulfilled when they haven't really questioned what it means for them. Right. So what did your father find another job or did he try the entrepreneurial thing? What did he end up doing? He ended up finding another job and the job that he initially found was with for an old friend of his. Um, and Put in perspective, he was working overseas, he was on an expat package, doing really, really well. And then we moved back to Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, first of all, we have uh, the currency is much weaker. And in the end, he took the job, but it wasn't really something that was kind of growing him or giving him financial kind of incentive. It was just kind of for him to be busy, right. in a sense. Um, and then also because he had made a couple of good investments, there was some income coming in, not, not a lot, but there was income coming in. 
And then eventually, I think about two and a half years later, he ended up finding a job, but having to relocate and being far from the family um, so he could actually generate that income that he wanted to generate for us. And for me, that also brought back the question is like, a lot of times people don't think about these things. They don't think about the life that they want to create. And then they kind of are byproducts of the fact that they haven't thought about it, which is partially the reason why I'm super um, uh, motivated to help also women learn about money as well. Because a lot of times, like the way I was brought up, I was always thought that, you know, my partner took care of me because my father took care of us. Right. And now I realize, yes, I have, you know, like, I may have a partner who could take care of me. That's wonderful, but he could also pass away. And that means that I'm still having responsibility for myself and my family, you know, beyond the fact that my partner can take care of me. Right. Cause so anything like, can happen at any time. Yeah. Can happen. And not only that, I also for yourself to think about like, I know that in the U S and, and Canada is much better, but in the U S for example, like even basic medical, it's not something that is there for everyone. So then let's imagine that some people get like sick or get like an illness, then it's terrible versus right. for example, places like Singapore and Canada, where it is like at least worst case, you pay more taxes or something, but you end up having medical care. And, and for those who don't have that, you have to make sure that you're financially you know, allocating funds for that, because again, to take care of yourself and not to be a burden for the family. Yeah. It can be quite expensive. Yeah. Yasmin, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you learned from this experience? So definitely the key thing was just to kind of question like what I've done it all actually means to me. Um, and that unfortunately did not take happen overnight. It took actually several years. And it literally started off, it sounds ridiculous not saying it out loud, but I started off with me just writing down what was on my bucket list. What could I actually kind of, what did I want it to do? Right. Um, before I, I hit the bucket in a sense, but what was beautiful, it allowed me to dream. And I think a big part is that people don't achieve what they want to achieve in their lifetime, not because they're not able to, but because they don't let themselves have a possibility that actually that could potentially be a possibility. And to give you an example, like one of the things that I had is I wanted to travel around the world, right? And put in mind, I wrote this list when I was 21, right? I didn't get it at 21. I got it at 29 and I ended up spending three no, 28. I spent about three years traveling around the world until I realized actually this dream was a dream that I wanted when I was younger. And now that I was a bit older, it wasn't my dream anymore. Right. So it's interesting to see that even the things that you dream about, they can change as well. And that's, and that's, that's also okay as well. Yeah. I think that that's a huge thing because, um, you know, I've done different versions of the bucket list at different points in my life, or even when I look at the very first vision board I did versus what's on my vision board today. They're, they're very drastic differences in a lot of areas because what you think that you want, even in your early 30s, may not be what you think you want or know that you want in your 40s. So it's just, yeah, realizing that it's all a process. It's a journey and that, yeah, your wants and needs and desires are going to shift as you gain more wisdom, knowledge and experience. Exactly. And actually, as we're talking, I just Googled up my bucket list. It's still online and <laughs> it is 185 things on the bucket list. Oh, wow. And what's interesting is that I don't actually have to do all of them anymore. I've done maybe, I'm going to say about a hundred, but if tomorrow is my last day, I feel that I'll be okay kind of thing. Right. You've accomplished a lot. For sure. Yeah. I think that, um, 
we don't give ourselves enough we don't give ourselves permission to dream. I think the older we get, the more we think that it's, there's no point to it, or some of us do anyway. I think some of us are always gonna be dreamers, but some of us really struggle because, you know, we have more responsibilities now and we have, yeah, things to do. So there's no time for dreaming, or really thinking about the things that you would like to do that would give you that fulfillment that you're looking for. Yeah. I understand where that's coming from. And I know that I've had points in my life where I've had that struggle. Um, but sometimes the dreams don't have to be that big. And I think people don't realize that. So I'll give you a story that I thought was very powerful. So one of my friend's moms, um, my dad was cancer, right? And she was able to fight it. And when she fought it, obviously her life perspective massively changed because it became the to-do list that she thought was important was not as important as she thought it was, right? And then afterwards, she ended up swimming and like, and then eventually she won a senior Olympics in swimming, which is super oh, wow. random, but like, you know, like, and I was just thinking- That's pretty cool though. Pretty cool. But at the same time, I was thinking, I was like, you know, for people who want to be like athletes, right? And maybe you were never born athletic, but if you start putting in those like 10,000 hours, you could be, you know? And she didn't obviously win gold or anything, but she still won <laughs> in the senior Olympics, which is amazing. And I, and the reason why I bring that up is because I was reading a statistic recently that the average person watches about one half an hour to one hour of TV a day, right? Specifically, the statistics came from Netflix, right? Okay. And if you start adding up all those hours, they make about one quarter of the hours that you use to actually work, right? So that's right. Imagine you're working eight hours a day times by, you know, whatever, uh, for the whole year, a quarter of your time is spent on watching TV. So when someone tells me that they don't have time, I always question is like, actually, yeah, <laughs> you may not have that much time, but that half an hour, that one hour that you're wasting, how can you use it to make something much more powerful? Um, I even looked, for example, doing my first job, I was really unfulfilled, really unhappy. You know, I didn't have finances to not have a job because I had to get a job, but I was super unhappy. And I used to work crazy long hours at the same time, alongside my job, I ended up launching a social enterprise training for the world's toughest mountain bike race and raising funds to help women entrepreneurs in East Timor. Right. But at the same time, I sacrificed watching that half an hour, one hour TV, plus a couple of other things, you know, that didn't serve me in terms of the dreams that I actually had at the time. So I get the responsibility thing and I get, you have to pay your mortgage payments, your kids have to eat and everything and make some tea sense. Yeah. But I'm not asking that you spend five, 10 hours. I'm talking about, can you spend half an hour on yourself and what you actually want to do? And for most people, the answer is yes. You you have the half an hour and you can do whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. I feel like um, the challenge is people don't, aren't really clear on what their priorities are. Exactly. Right. So they, so they're doing all kinds of stuff, but, and they're very busy, right? It's not like they're, well, even your stats start talking about maybe one hour, which I think for some people, it's a lot more than yeah. that, a day that they're watching TV. But, um, but yeah, it's just about getting clear on your priorities because then when you're clear on your pri- priorities, you can set boundaries, you can say yes to the right things and no to the things that 
don't serve you. And I feel like, especially as women, we have a hard time saying no. And so we end up saying yes to all kinds of things Mm -hmm. that aren't going to help us or serve us in any way. And then we end up, whether it's a month from now, a day from now, six months from now, getting really angry and resentful about all the things we've done for everybody else. And um, we really have to, yeah, set some personal boundaries for ourselves and be comfortable with saying no and not feeling like you have to over explain yourself when you say no. Because I know that for me, um, when I feel like I have to explain myself when I say no, I end up explaining myself right back into saying yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can definitely relate to this. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something that we, we struggle with a lot. And I, I would say that, and maybe I'm stereotyping, but I think that women struggle with it more because we want to be the nurturing care- caregivers. We want to, we tend to be more the people pleasers. And so we don't want to hurt feelings and we don't want to leave somebody stranded. So we're saying yes to all kinds of stuff that we have no business saying yes to. Yeah. And this is even worse. So this is hilarious. Um, but, you know, in Arab culture, uh, we're very collectivist, right? Things get done a lot of times in a group. So whatever the group wants, you end up going ahead with the group wants, right? Right. So to give you a bit of context, when I was in, you know, in high school and university, um, you want to stay home and study and everyone's going out. It's like, bring your books. <laughs> if you don't have any money, we'll pay for you. I don't have a ride. Don't worry. We'll pick you up. Like there's literally, there's no way out of anything you want to get out of. Right. And at one point I just didn't even think. Right. Like you start to become creative and try to get like, get out of it. But then sometimes you just realize it's not going to happen. That you're still going to show up. And then I ended up going and spending one year in Vancouver on exchange. And I remember somebody asked me, my friend Jackie, she's like, oh, like, do you want to go to the movies? I looked at her, I was like, no. She's like, okay. And then she walked away. And I just remember thinking like, what? That just happened? Like, she didn't tell me why. She didn't (laughs) say why. Like, she didn't like probe. And then for the whole, maybe two weeks after that, I kept on saying no all the time because it was so, for me, so empowering just to say the word no. And then I don't want to say no everything. Like you want to know some things, right? but because I had never gotten to say no and to be able to have someone be like, okay, because that's not the culture that I come from. It was amazing. (laughs) Right. That must've been so freeing though. can't even imagine like that first time it's like what just happened here like literally she walked like she went back to her townhouse and I was just like what just happened and I literally wrote in my diary I'm like she just walked away like is that normal the people and I was asking people like is that normal here like you don't have to say yes to everything they're like yeah you don't have to say yes to everything I'm like wow amazing skill yeah it's funny though right because it opens up a whole new world for you yeah actually gives you permission to say no and be comfortable with it yeah so uh, what do you think was the biggest challenge for you in being an entrepreneur and deciding to wear the entrepreneurial hat so i think we just kind of talked about it and i think it really is coming down to saying yes to yourself um i think the Mm. biggest challenge when you're first starting out because the thing is to realize is being an entrepreneur is a challenge no matter which stage you're at it's never super you know, smooth. And then it's kind of done. It's, you have to constantly be competitive and be, um, kind of showing up. And then you have different challenges. The first is probably around getting your first clients and afterwards like how to manage and grow your team. So it's a different kind of thing. But for me, definitely it was the fact that like, I kept on second guessing if I was able to do it and if 
you know, I was allowed to have those dreams. So a lot of the questions in my head were like, am I good enough? Am I too young? Who will take me seriously. Um, will this, will this work for me? You know, what's my plan B? There should never be a plan B. There should be like, that is my plan. And there's different strategies to get there, but there's no plan B kind of thing. So if I had to like summarize the first one and a half years of my experience, which I'm super happy that I was doing it while I still had a job, it was just around the doubts that you have in your head. And the worst part is not finding friends who are also entrepreneurial because you start to think with everyone around you that you're a little bit crazy if all your friends are working. Right. And yeah. then you start to, the doubts that you have, they help you manifest it even further. Because they'll be like, why do you want to do that? That's stupid. No one does that right now. It's super dangerous. You know, the economy, we're entering recession this year. Like we already had the, the markets crash. We're going to have it again, much bigger. Like, don't be silly. But at the same time, it's like, if you are people who make sure that it's possible and it's, it makes it much more easier. Um, and I remember at the time I didn't have any entrepreneurial friends. And I think a year into it, I signed up for an online course uh, by Marie Forleo. And to be honest, the course didn't teach you anything that was very new, but it had a massive community of people who made me believe that it was possible. And that's so important, I think. That's so important. Yeah, having that support system and people who get it, because um, I think that you have to be careful about who you share your hopes and dreams with, right? Because there are always going to be people who, and I don't even think a lot of times they're doing it on purpose. It's because it's coming from their own fears or perceived limitations of what's possible for them that they then sort of project that onto you. But um, it's not helpful, especially at the start of your journey. So you have to really find yeah. you, the right people to, to share your dreams with so that they can support you in a, in a productive way. Yeah, for sure. And then also like it helps you not only like support your dreams, but it also helps you give the right kind of constructive feedback as well. Yeah, which so, is so important. It's also super important because in the end of the day, like the way I summarize entrepreneurship, it's sort of like, first of all, it's like learning a new skill. And if you look at the example of when we were learning how to ride a bicycle as kids, like there's no kid who rode a bicycle without falling down right. a couple of times. Yeah. Right. And if you look as an adult, like I don't know how to drive a car. Again, it takes a while until you get more comfortable and become second nature. And the same thing with being an entrepreneur. I, I think the hardest thing as well as being an entrepreneur is that you have to choose to make the right decisions when, because there's a bajillion things to do and it's easy to get distracted and you have to prioritize, this is what I'm going to focus on. And there's nobody going to be telling you the right or wrong answer. It's up to you to do it. That's right. There's nobody micromanaging you to tell you that this is the direction you should be heading in or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Yasmin, what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, but is having that internal chatter that's telling them that they shouldn't do it? So there's a couple of things. Um, the chatter could come in many different ways. The chatter will be first in terms of, will it work for me? And if you are having chatter, will it work for me? Um, I would actually recommend first getting into building that muscle of how to generate income, right? And that may be as simple as offering to someone to do something on their behalf, right? Um, I will, if for example, you're a designer, hey, I will design your logo or your new name cards, right? 
And you don't have to charge a, a big amount, even like 30, 40, 50, a hundred dollars is enough. But to get in the muscle of realizing that actually, or even today's world, you can even go on Fiverr, right? It's how simple it is or Upwork and just list it and try to get that first kind of paying kind of client. And that really helps you realize that, wow, like there are people who want to hire me, you know? And then that builds that muscle that, oh, actually, you know, there is something that I could be doing. That's an example, right? At the same time, it's like, don't put the pressure of quitting your job to go full speed or something. Um, I did it alongside my job. I think it's perfectly awesome to, you have enough time. If you stop watching TV, you can do a lot of things in your time. Um, but just start doing it and start getting comfortable with, you know, getting your first client, figuring out how to deliver. Um, and just the muscle, like the business I started when I first had my, my job was in career coaching and six, seven months into that, I realized I'm not a big fan of career coaching just because I can do it as me. I should be doing it. Right. Um, so I think by having that job, I had that flexibility and that allowance to keep on playing and trying until I found my thing. Right. The second thing as well is just to realize that in the world, there is so much money. Like I think I had a big problem in terms of having a lot of guilt about asking for money. Cause I always thought that people worked really hard. Money's not growing trees. And in reality, people are spending money all the time. As long as you can help them do one or two or three things that they really get frustrated about, they're happy to pay you. But if you're being held up by the fact that, oh, wow, that's really expensive. No one would pay me for that. That's you blocking the yes before you get the yes. And then the last thing... Right, before you even ask for the yes. Yeah. Ask for the yes. And like, I was running a workshop for my team yesterday, actually, around like about how to have sales and to basically improve the, the communication in sales. And it was so funny because like I started off by like reason people don't say yes, you know, like the reason why the people reject you. And it's really because of the fact that a lot of it is structural things. Like we don't ask for it. We don't follow up for it. Things like that, that are very basic, um, that can be avoided. And then the last thing as well, like kind of following up on the point of, um, the bicycle, it's like, it's not about, you can't do it. It's about learning a system that works and that works for you. Because there's many ways of doing anything, but you have to find your own formula of what it looks like. And it does take a bit of... Yeah, it has to be authentic for you. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's great advice um, because I know that, yeah, it can be so hard, right? And I think that when you have the full-time job and you're, you're starting off, it takes off a lot of that pressure in asking for the sale because it's not like if you don't get the sale, you're not going to eat tomorrow or you're not exactly. going to be able to pay your mortgage, right? Yeah. So it allows you to be a little bit more fearless in asking for the sale because you do still have that steady income coming in from somewhere else. Yeah, and also to realize as well, not everybody you speak to, you have to sell to because some clients are right. not your right fit. But if you are in desperation mode, it becomes more a survival mechanism than actually an active service. And then you feel bad and horrible about it afterwards because you know that you can't help them. Like I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a woman who approached me who wants me to help her with her, her fashion brand, right? I have no experience selling fashion, right? There's no reason why I should be working with her. But I, if I was, I'm, I haven't, but if I had to go back to when I was like not in a part-time job, starting from scratch, I probably would have had to take it, right? Because it's a right. survival thing versus actually, this is not really what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I find that when you 
if you do find yourself in that position and you do take on jobs that you know aren't the right fit, it never goes smoothly, right? Yeah. So it ends up it ends up costing you more time, possibly the client more money because it just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't in alignment with where you are or what you're supposed to be doing. So I think that it's it's very important to be mindful of that for sure. To have the confidence and the faith to be discriminate about who you say yes to, even when it comes to choosing your own clients, because you do get to still choose who you work with yeah. as a business owner. Yeah. Yasmin, any other final thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah. At the end of the day, whatever desires or dreams that you want to have, like that is your destiny. So don't be afraid to kind of take the small steps, you know, Sometimes people think you have to take massive steps. But for me, every goal that I've achieved has not been about the big steps. It's about breaking it down to something that's super small that might be a 10-minute task a day that helps me get to where I want to go. And I think everyone in this world can do that. And I think everyone can achieve whatever they want to have. And it's possible if it's just believing a little bit more in themselves. So for everyone who's listening, I just really, really hope that you don't make the world miss out what you have to offer because it's a bit unfair if you do, um, and make your dreams come true. Awesome. I love it. Thanks so much, Yasmin, for sharing your journey, for sharing your wisdom, experiences, and knowledge. Um, I know I got a lot out of it, so I'm sure that the listeners will too. And again, for the listeners, you can come back to the show notes and find where to connect with Yasmin so you can learn more about her and what she's doing and uh, find out more about this trip to the arctic and the documentary you're going to be doing that sounds super exciting yeah and actually i'll also send you the link of my bucket list as well so people can have a little bit of a laugh because it's literally like written by a 21 year old like you can see it's just like ridiculous things that i'm like oh that's really cool oh that's really cool and who knows maybe it might inspire some of us to start our own new bucket list yep (laughs) (laughs) again yasmin thank you so much for your time and to the listeners have a great day and we'll see you next week